forever and ever and ever far beyond when we are gone from this earth. Lord, you will be glorified forever. If we don't cry out, the rocks will scream out the name of our glorious God, Jesus Christ. Forever, you reign forever, eternity past and eternity to come. The name of Jesus Christ reigns forever. And God, we are humbled by that thought. We are humbled by the fact that you, God Almighty, would send your son Jesus to die for us who are limited, who will die. And this world will pass away. But you reign forever and ever. We love you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. How y'all doing? Good? Good to see you. Not as beautiful as my wife, though. She got home last night, dressed in, I think, the same thing she's dressed in right now. So, it's good. <laughs> and she's still beautiful. I love it. She slept in it, too. So, I'm just kidding. I slept in this because I didn't want to wake up that early. I was tired. Anyway, we're in a four-week series called Family Ties. Okay, four weeks. Last week, we focused on singleness. This week's marriage. Next week is parenting. And the week after that is leaving a legacy. But I want to read just a couple verses to you. 1 Corinthians seven seventeen says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And then verse 35 says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's the point, right? That whatever our position in life, that we have an undivided devotion to God. little quiz here, I want you to fill in the blank at the end. But God's call on us always holds the most, what? Oh man, I did not do a good job last week. I'm just going to start over. God's call on us always holds the most, what? Gospel reward, good job. When we ask the question, Am I willing to pursue God and surrender to him no matter what? When I ask that question, if, if I am pursuing God and if God is my top priority, then that statement, God's call on us always holds the most gospel reward, has the potential to be one of the biggest drivers to say yes to Am I willing to do whatever God asks no matter what? Am I willing to pursue God? Am I willing to surrender to him no matter what? Okay? Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just in a position in your life where you just really don't care about following God or you haven't been following God forever for a long time or you're just in a place where you're just in a slump, I don't know, where you're just not pursuing God, here's the thing. Don't tune out. Because I believe that everything that God lays out in Scripture, He's the creator of everything, right? 
This is his word to us. So he knows the earth best. He knows his creation best. We believe that he created us. And so everything in here, even if you're not pursuing him, it's good for life. Right? The principles laid out in scripture are good for life. Right? And this is how you can encourage people in your life that aren't interested in reading the Bible. The truth is that the things that God lays out in the Bible are practical for life. And if we live the things laid out in Scripture, life's going to be better. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. It's going to be better. But here's what we don't believe. We don't believe there's any amount of following this as, as a law I just saw a buck ran across there, so don't get distracted by that, but that was awesome. That was cool. Um, I got distracted by it, but it was cool. Uh, No amount of following this, or no amount of doing anything good, can get us into heaven. We believe the only way to get into heaven is to believe that we are sinners, that Jesus Christ died for us, and that because of that we can spend eternity with God. With Jesus, our groom, right? The bride of Christ is the church, right? So either way, if you really have not been following, following Jesus, if you haven't been pursuing Jesus, pay attention. Because this is the word of life. So pay attention to that. Last week we talked about singleness. And we set the, the tone for the whole series. That whatever your position in life, remember we're not going to call them stages, Okay, we're not going to call them stages because I don't believe that any one of these positions in life is better than another one. Right? We're going to call them positions. So whatever your position in life, it is a means to an end for the gospel. Today we're going to talk about marriage as a means to an end for the gospel. The mission of marriage. Right? We've got to look at our marriages as a mission. A mission for the gospel. Many of us, I mean, we've done studies, okay? We've done the real marriage study. We've done love and respect. We've done the art of marriage. There's plenty of other marriage studies that we can do. And those are awesome because we need to focus on our marriages. We need to focus on the little things that we can do to make our marriages better. I mean, even Kyle, he said this a number of times in messages about parenting. If you have kids, your parenting comes down to your marriage, right? He said this many times, but the best thing that a husband can do for his kids, that a father can do for his kids, is to love his wife well. Like the best thing we can do for our kids is to love our, life, our, our wife well because they need to see us doing that. And all these things are great. This morning our focus is going to be this, Matthew twenty two thirty, In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Like angels in heaven, they're not married, they're not given in marriage, they don't procreate, it's not needed, okay? That's not how God made them. We're gonna be like that when we get into heaven, and I don't like it. I can't imagine existence now without my wife. I just can't imagine it, right? But in heaven, it's not gonna be that way. I'll know who she is, I'll know she was my wife on earth, but she's not going to be my wife in heaven. But this goes for singles too. This goes for divorced people. This goes for widows. This goes for people who are older and leaving a legacy, who have grandkids. It goes for everyone that our pursuit, no matter your position in life, our pursuit is the same, right? 
Our pursuit is always the gospel. Our pursuit is always God. Our pursuit is always Jesus Christ in a deeper individual relationship with him so that all these other relationships in life become better. Right? So here it is. Here's the one big thing that you got to go away with this morning. I don't care if you remember any of the other details of this message except for the fact that they convince you of this one thing. Okay, write it down. If you write it down, text it to yourself, whatever you do. But here it is. If marriage is not eternal, then focus your marriage on what is. You got that? If marriage is not eternal, then focus your marriage on what is. Date night vacations, saving for the future, flowers for the wife, time alone for a husband. Although, I gotta say this. I spent three days with my kids. Heather was gone at a conference. It ain't the husband that needs to be given time alone. It's the wife. Because if I had to do that all the time, you say, my wife say amen. If I had to do that all the time, somebody would be dead, I think. And I don't think it'd be me. It'd be one of my children, all right? So whatever it is, all those things are good. Because they help in a marriage and they're needed. But what is the driving force behind why we do all of those things? A couple years ago, a bunch of us men went through a, uh, a men's fraternity study called Quest for Authentic Manhood, winning at work and home. And Robert Lewis describes it like this, okay? There's a point system when you have a couple. Okay, there's a point system. In a marriage, right? And this point system is subconscious. We don't like, we don't write these things down, right? But here's the point system, okay? It's how a wife determines that her husband is being a successful husband or how a husband determines that her wife, his wife, is being a successful wife. It's all subconscious, but here's how it works, all right? If my wife does, say she gives me some time alone, right? which I have time alone every day. This is a bad example. But say my wife gives me a massage, right? That could be 10 points in my mind. That's 10 points. That's a great thing for her to do. And my wife gives me ticket. This wouldn't really matter for me, but if you're a sports guy, and your wife gives you tickets to a game, right? That may be worth 50 points, okay? So a man measures in amounts of points, right? To see if his wife's successful. She has to get to this number, and each thing she does is worth a different amount of points. Now, as a man does things for his wife, right, if I gave my wife a massage, right, it'd probably be negative points because I stink at it. But if I gave my wife a massage, she would say, how many points is that? One. If I give my wife an hour, an hour a day for a week by herself, how many points is that? One. If I, as a man plan an entire vacation, a cruise that we've never been on, and we go away and it's the best week of our lives. How many points at the end of the week do you think I get? One. Right? A man has it a lot harder than a woman. I'm joking. I'm joking. All right? But here's the deal. It's true. We subconsciously live by that point system. We do. How can I please my spouse? We subconsciously live by that point system, by that point system, but maybe it's not any of those things 
that God uses to measure a successful marriage. Maybe it's not any of those things that God says you're a good husband or you're a good wife or you're a good father or you're a good mother, right? Maybe it's none of those things because if marriage is not eternal, then we need to focus your marriage on what is. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Like our time left on earth has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as, as the, if they had no dealings with it. For the present time, the present form of this world is passing away. Could it possibly be that the most important thing about my marriage is not my marriage? If the world is passing away and my marriage will not last into eternity, then maybe there's something much bigger in God's mind planned for all of our marriages, right? Maybe the most important thing about my marriage is not my marriage. I've done this before, but I wanna, I wanna do it in a different form. Use a whiteboard, right? Don't make fun of my writing, but this is how this works, okay? We, I want you to pretend like this is a rope, okay? We've done this before. You remember the big yellow rope I used? Okay, and right here is the beginning of your life. Can everybody see that, kind of? Yeah. Right here at the beginning is the beginning of your life. This end to the right keeps going for eternity, okay? So it goes, and 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 it never ends, Okay? This line right here is your death. So that's your life. That right there is your life. Okay? What do most people do? Most people spend the first two-thirds or three-quarters of their life, that's about that much, all of this, preparing for this right here. The last quarter or the last third of your life, right? I don't know how that makes sense when you still have all of that, right? From God's perspective, what makes more sense? To spend this preparing for this or to spend all of this, my entire life, preparing for all of that, right? You see what I'm saying? It's a perspective. Doesn't that apply to our marriages as well? Because my marriage is not going to last for all of that. But how I spent my marriage might. Francis Chan, he wrote a book called You and Me Forever. It looks like this. Okay. Now, here's the thing about Francis Chan. Okay? You do a Francis Chan study, you read a Francis Chan book, and I can guarantee you it'll make you think. I can guarantee you it'll make you uncomfortable. I can guarantee you you might agree or disagree with some or a lot of it, right? Depending on how you've been raised, how you've grown up, whatever. But I love this book. If you want a book that talks all about what we're talking about this morning, 
that live, living your marriage in light of eternity. And really, you read this book and it applies to every position in life. Living your life in light of eternity. Read this book. But here's a quote from it. This is just from the introduction. All right? It says, even now, I am working to make sure that my family is set up for the future. When most people make that statement, they're talking about financial security for their last few years on earth. When I say it, I'm referring to the millions of years that come after that. People accuse me of going overboard and preparing for my first 10 million years in eternity. In my opinion, people go overboard in worrying about their last 10 years on earth. Well, when you say it like that, Francis, it makes sense, right? I have, he goes on to say, I have imagined what it will be like when Lisa, this is his wife, okay? And if you have a spouse, I want you to picture this, all right? I want you to picture this. I have imagined what it will be like when Lisa comes face to face with God. The Bible guarantees that that will actually happen. One day, my wife, and for you maybe one day my spouse, will stand before the creator and judge of all things. What a staggering moment that will be. I can't imagine any of us being ready for the shock of that day. Yet scripture begs us, to spend our lives preparing for it. I'm not suggesting that we work to earn God's acceptance. That would be heresy. We are welcomed into his presence if we trust in what Jesus did on the cross. It's his work, not ours, that determines our eternal fate. Because I am crazy about Lisa, because I am crazy about Heather, because you are crazy about your spouse... I want her to have a great life. But more than that, I want her to have a great eternity. I want her to look back at her life without regret. I want her to be confident that the time she spent on earth prepared her for heaven. And most importantly, I want her to hear God say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Hey, listen, that's even confirmation that what we talked about last week from 1 Corinthians, talking about singleness versus married. It's just proof that if you get married, you not only have to worry about your own, your own spiritual well-being, you are now worried about your spouse's spiritual well-being it's not a bad thing but sometimes it's harder it's not a bad thing it's just the truth and the point in the end is that no matter what relationships you're in you pursue God right think about it is more of my marriage spent making my wife or my spouse happy like happy wife, happy life, right? Amen, gentlemen, right? Happy wife, happy life. Is that it for me? Or am I concerned about the quality of my spouse's pursuit of Jesus? Am I concerned with how my marriage as a whole proclaims the gospel to the world? Marriage is not eternal. So focus your marriage 
on what is. Everyone wants to have a great marriage. I don't think anyone goes into marriage thinking this is going to be horrible. Right? Some people, sadly, these days go into marriage thinking, I can try this out. Right? I could be married for a few days, for a few days, for a few years, for a few months, whatever it may be. And if I don't like it, I can get out. Right? Divorce happens. It's hard. It's a struggle. But no one at the beginning of marriage goes in thinking that this is going to be terrible, right? We don't go in thinking that we're going to get a divorce. Even people that don't follow Jesus have great marriages. I know, I know some people who don't follow Jesus, who don't know Jesus, and their marriage might put mine to shame as far as the world looks at marriage, as far as them outwardly loving each other, as far as them doing things for each other, and all that. I know some people who don't follow Jesus who have good marriages, right? And you probably do too. Matthew 6, 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't I want to apply that to my marriage as well? Don't I want to apply that to every relationship in my life? And then Jesus goes on to say in that passage, don't be anxious about anything, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Here's the point. We can have goals and we can have dreams. I mean, we hear through these marriage studies, you know, What do you as a couple, what do you as a family want to accomplish in the next five years, right? What do you want to do? How are you going to act with your kids? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? How are you going to set up yourselves financially for the next umpteen years, for retirement, whatever that is? We can have goals and we can have dreams for our marriages and our families, which is fine. But maybe the best way to have the right eternal goals is to forget about all of those goals that we've made. Go back to our foundation, which is Christ, and ask the question, okay? And this is in a marriage, and this is in any relationship you can have. But how can my marriage proclaim Jesus and grow the kingdom of God? How can my marriage Be something that follows what God is asking of me. And then, and then, after you've answered that question, in any relationship in your life, let the the goals and the successes that you want to have in that marriage be set from the answer to that question. Okay? We got to put the... cart before the horse or the horse before... You know what I'm saying. We've got to put them in the right order. Now, this has been, this week has been interesting for Heather and I. And I don't want to, this is the, this is, I don't, I'm not going to promise this, but I'm not going to talk too much more about um, our move to Urbandale, okay? Because our struggles, our issues are no more weighty than yours. But my prayer is that in this example, you can find yourself in it, right? So this has been one of those weeks that in the preparation for this message, I'm just like, God, I am not the guy for this weekend. Like, I do not feel in any shape or form ready to preach. 
it was one of those weeks that forced me to make a choice. Like, am I just going to bull through this or am I going to pray? And I, I just prayed over and over again, God, fill me with your spirit. Help this to make sense. Because I'm not, I'm not in an emotional state to preach. And though that does not feel very good when you're getting ready to preach or in any situation in life, it's actually probably one of the best places you can be because then when you do it, you have to rely on the power of God to get you through it, right? So anyway, this past week we moved to Urbandale from all outward appearances. This is a great move. I'm three minutes away from work. We're closer to most of you, right? Our, our home mission field and our church mission field have now become one, right? So we are convinced that this was the right move. We're convinced that this is what we were supposed to do. But this has been the hardest thing that, our, that we've ever had to do with our family. Because in Ankeny, when we moved to Ankeny, we were excited to move. We were like ready to get out of Grimes. I'm just kidding, Grimes is great. But we were, in our, that sounded bad, but in, for us, for our circumstance, we were ready to move. So when we got to Ankeny, it was like, boom, first night, I can't believe we live here. This is awesome. It felt like home really fast. And now, some of our best friends are our neighbors that were in Ankeny. And all of our kids' best friends live right across the street. But at the same time, Heather and I both felt very strongly that God was leading us to at least explore this option. So we put our house on the market, and we said, all right, God, it's up to you. Like, what are you going to do? Do you want to move us? Do you not want to move us? Uh, we put our house on the market on a Friday. It sold by Wednesday. And from the day that I called my loan officer to the day we moved was a total of six weeks. So I'd say it was pretty clear, right? Now. Our home is Heather's domain, right? Our home is Heather's ministry. So along the way, I had to fight Satan's lies, saying, dude, you're taking her away from something that she loves, right? And so I had to ask, like, wait, is this just something that I am, like, making up? And she asked the question, too, is this just something that I'm, I'm, I'm coming up with? Like, God, is this from you or is this from me? And Satan was just feeding me with all this stuff. There were so many times when I would just watch Heather in her sadness and I would be in my sadness when we could have pulled the plug. But here's the biggest thing that kept us moving in this direction. What is the mission? Because I knew, right, I knew that even in her sadness, Heather was convinced that this was the right thing to do. That so much more than the joy of staying in Ankeny, she would have regretted not obeying where God led. So the best thing, the best thing for us to pursue for our marriage and for our family was to pursue obedience for the sake of the gospel even when it was really hard. Now, in my head, I see that all of this is going to be really good and it's going to be for the glory of God. But that was our struggle this week. Like there was some emptiness that this isn't home yet. 
But here's, I just want to say thank you to all of you because God has used you as the church to us. Like, I didn't have to cook while Heather was gone. Thank God. Right? My Judah came to me yesterday morning and he goes, Dad, I will eat anything for breakfast, but not cereal. I was like, okay, I'll make you eggs. All right? But you guys, man, in the, in the way that you've helped, you helped us move, you set up our house, all that, you were the church to us, and I love that. But the point is, when it came down to it, this could go from the hardest thing we've ever had to do to the best possible thing for our marriage and for our family because it was the process of obedience that drew us closer to God and therefore closer to each other. Like, here's the thing, in our new home, Heather's got all these random pieces of paper all over the walls that have uh, verses, right? She's even got this big piece of cardboard cut out, right? Because it was the biggest thing that she had to write this verse on, right? And it actually kind of looks pretty cool on the wall in our new house, so maybe we'll frame it or maybe we'll just leave it like it is. But they were at our old house too while we were doing this process, right? And one of the kids from the neighborhood said, what are all those on the walls? Because they hadn't been there before. They were verses that would remind Heather of who we were to God and how he felt about us and how we could cry out to him so that they would push us through this process. And all of those things, that's the sort of thing that causes me to say, man, I love this woman. Because her focus was in the right place. If marriage is not eternal, then focus your marriage on what is. You've seen this before. I wanted to whiteboard again. But here's the deal. This is, I mean, a lot of counselors use this and marriage counseling and all this. You might think it's cliche-ish, but I think it's really true. Okay? Top priority being God. Right? He is at the top. Bear with me. If you've seen this before, wife, husband, see what happens as both the wife and the husband move closer to God. Who else do they move closer to? Each other, right? That's so true if both of you are pursuing God. Here's where it becomes really hard. If you have an unbelieving spouse, or if you have a believing spouse that just is not interested in growing closer to God, they become inter- more interested in the things of the world than of God. What do you do? What do you do in that situation? As a lover of Jesus, you pursue God. You pursue God. Because God is eternal. Your marriage is not. But here's the thing. As you grow closer to God, the only option for your spouse to get closer to you is to consider God. That's a win-win, right? So if we see that our spouse is not following following God, and we spend all this time just trying to get closer to our spouse, just trying to do things that will please or appease our spouse when they're not growing closer to God, the only result is that we're going to stay far away from each other, and we're not going to be any closer to God. 
So in a marriage, you are one, but you pursue Christ. Answer these questions. How often do you pray for your spouse? How often do you pray with your spouse? How often do you share what you are reading in scripture with your spouse? How often do you serve together with kids if you have them? How often do you make decisions in life based on what God is calling you to? Based on what will be an advantage to and a growth of the kingdom of God, right? Now, when we think about that, that may not, in your mind, account for a very successful or a very fun life, right? It might not, like, What's the fun in that, right? I want to remind you, okay? I just want to pause right now and remind you that in Christ, you are free. That he does not want our relationships to be this rigid, like, work harder, kind of treading through the quicksand, trying to get out, get closer to God so I can get closer to my spouse and just, no, There's freedom in Christ. And some of you, if you're married, are feeling the weight that is not supposed to be there. It's not a weight that Jesus intended for you to have. Because why? Because on the cross, he died for that. So in the name of Jesus, you are free and your marriage is supposed to be free and you're supposed to be able to spend time together with God so then in your marriage you can then go out and spend time with unbelievers and affect them and not be affected by them right there's not supposed to be bondage in a marriage and I know that there is in some marriage relationships here this morning Just know that, that Jesus Christ sets you free, but you got to pursue him. That's where freedom comes from. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. I want to read that to you. So just listen to this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present, for, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ 
and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see she respects her husband. One flesh. One flesh. One flesh. That means that commitment to each other in marriage is like the most important thing. God says, what God has put together, let not man separate. Right? But what does that commitment look like? Our marriage, from those, from those verses, he wasn't talking just about marriage. He was more talking about the fact that our marriages are supposed to be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. This is why I don't think marriage has to be eternal. And this is why I don't think that we should freak out because it's not eternal. Right? This is why I don't think that we need to be sad because it's not eternal. Because what is the church? The church is the bride of Christ. And here's the deal. Yeah. In marriage, God says, be fruitful and multiply. Right? Have kids. Okay? But if that's the only reason for marriage, why not just go be fruitful and multiply? Right? The world would love that. Just go be fruitful and multiply. But that's not the only point of marriage. And in marriage, there's some people that can't have kids. There's got to be more to it than that. Right? When we get to heaven and we're with Jesus, we will literally be the bride of Christ. And he will take us and present us to himself and to his father as a perfect, holy, blameless, spotless, beautiful bride. You see why marriage doesn't need to be eternal? You see why marriage is not eternal? But if the one thing that is eternal is our marriage to Jesus then why not focus our earthly marriages on that one eternal thing? In a marriage, the best thing that we can do is to live in a pursuit of Jesus for the sake of the gospel. How are we using our marriage for the gospel? How are we using our homes together for the gospel? How are we using our stuff, our money, our resources, our talents, everything that we bring to a marriage? How are we using those things for the gospel? Marriage is not eternal, so focus your marriage on what is. As the band comes up, I want to, I want to paint the picture of what we're about to do in a specific way. So we're about to take communion. It's a reminder in the bread of the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ represented in the cup spilled out for us and it's the blood Heather reminds me of this all the time right it's the blood of Jesus that gives us victory over every lie that Satan could bring over death over sin it's the blood of Jesus spilt out for us that makes us clean, that makes us free, right? In the light of marriage, I want to I remind you of this. 
So, in Jesus' day, I want to say this quick, but in Jesus' day, there was, if a man wanted to get married to a woman, right? I've said this before, it's just a reminder, but some of you may have not been here. If a man wanted to get married to a woman, he would go to his father and say, Dad, I want to marry that woman. So his dad would go to her dad and say, I will give you cattle, I'll pay you whatever the payment would be, okay, to give my son a chance, just a chance to ask your daughter to marry him, right? And so if the father of the bride, the father of the girl, said yes, then they would get together as a whole family for the proposal. This is nuts. I mean, like, we would, th- these days, I mean, we would just like, that's crazy, that ain't happening. Like, this, is, this would be crazy. Okay, my whole family there? No. Okay, so... What would happen is they would sit down to a meal, they'd all be sitting across from each other, and a cup of wine would be given to everybody, right? And sometime in the middle of the, the meal, the, the young man would pick up his cup, okay, and he would pass it across the table to this girl who he wanted to marry. At that moment, that was like the ring, right? And we get down and we're like, Ring, will you marry me? That cup was like the ring. And at that moment, the girl had an option to say yes and take the cup and drink it, saying, yes, I will marry you. Or she could reject it, saying, no, you stanky. I ain't going to marry you, right? It's not going to happen. If she said yes, then, then they would part ways for about six months and, the, uh, and not see each other at all. All right, the young man would go and he would prepare a home, prepare a place for them to live. And where was that place? Attached to his father's house. Heck no. I have no. I love you, Raleigh and Debbie. Okay, so they would go. He would go and do that. Does that sound familiar? And what did Jesus say? I'll go and prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, that there you may be also. The church is the bride of Christ, right? And so that young man, at the end of that time, when he had finished their home, it was more like an apartment attached to his parents' house, he would say, hey, Dad, is this good enough? Is it ready for my bride? And the father would say, yes, go get your bride, Right? Man, we're waiting for that day. We're waiting for that day when God the Father says to Jesus, yes, go get your bride. That should rock us. I mean, that should change everything with the way we live. Right? So the young man would travel and go get his bride and he would bring her back to live with him as his wife. Right? And then... Get this, this is crazy. So a Jewish fisherman would have known how that all worked. At the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to go and prepare the Last Supper. So they're all sitting around the table. They all have a cup of wine in front of them. And Jesus, at one point in the meal, says, and he takes the third cup, which is the cup of salvation, and he hands it to his disciples. And in that moment, What would they have understood that he was saying? Take the cup. And he would have been saying, will you marry me? 
right? And so the way that the disciples would have understood that is if I take this and drink of it, I am saying yes to the covenant, to the new covenant in his blood that Jesus is offering me. And so when they took the cup, they were committing like a non-binding marriage, I mean like a non-breaking, it is a binding relationship, with Jesus saying, yes, I will take the new covenant in your blood and be your bride, right? And they took it. It said they all took it except one, Judas, who went and betrayed him, right? But they took it. And so when we think about our marriages, our marriage is meant to serve that one eternal marriage. That if our marriages physically are not eternal, then we better focus our marriages on what is eternal. And for anyone in the room who's not married, you should focus everything that you are on your marriage that is to come. The marriage supper of the Lamb, right? So that's what we're saying when we take the juice this morning. The cup this morning is that yes, Yes, I am committed to you, Jesus. So let's pray, and then we're going to worship together. Jesus, we are committed to you. We are committed to you. And anyone who doesn't know you in the room, you are offering that cup to say, will you marry me? Will you be committed to me? Father, I pray that our marriages would be pointed at the one marriage that lasts forever. And that as we remember you and your death on the cross and the offer of this covenant and the bread and the cup, that we would pursue you, Jesus, and be thankful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. spouse just doesn't know Jesus and I can imagine that the one thing that keeps them up at night is the salvation of their spouse and so I want everybody just to hold out their hands like this because we as the church as believers need to beg for their salvation. And man, this is, this, is, this is all possible. This is all only possible when Jesus has set you free. And so, as I pray, we're going to beg God for their salvation and, and that you would join in and just beg God for their salvation and, and bre- beg God for broken marriages that, that, that the name of Jesus would set free. So let's pray together and just depend on God for salvation. God, we um, are a bunch of messed up people. We, we are sinners saved by grace and take none of that credit for ourselves. 
that we have received from you a free gift of salvation, Lord. And we're here this morning and there's some people who their hearts are broken on a daily basis for their, their spouse who doesn't know you. Lord, and anyone in the room that does not know you, I beg that the Holy Spirit would pursue their heart so that they can't sleep at night. That they, they have to respond to the love of an almighty God through his son. God, do not leave them alone until they respond. Father, give freedom to their hearts, freedom to their lives, freedom to their eternity, freedom to their marriages. God, we beg in the name of Jesus that you would pursue, that you would pursue, that you would pursue. And that salvation would come to every home represented in this room. And that every marriage would be a pursuit of the glory of God. And that every life, if not married, would be a pursuit of the glory of God. But we beg you in this moment now in the power of Jesus' name through the Holy Spirit that you would save, that you would save, that you would save. Father, we don't know how else to ask it but to beg that you would do this for us. And as we sing this last song, that we sing out of our strong God who is mighty to save and who there is nothing, nothing in heaven Nothing on earth, nothing in the power of hell that could overtake the power of the cross. And we claim that power this morning. We claim that freedom. And Father, we beg for salvation for everyone here. And in Jesus' name, we ask this and we continue to ask as we sing this prayer to you and this declaration to you.